You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. So good to be together. Wow. Woo! Go, Lord. John chapter 21, verses 20 to 25. Let's open up our Bibles. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, you're going to need one. Our ushers are coming forward right now. And if you don't have one with you, put up your hand. They want to put one in your lap. And if you don't have a Bible at home, then please take that one as a free gift from us to encourage you to continue to dive into God's Word at home. John chapter 21, verse 20 to 25. Well, praise the Lord, this is a milestone night. I mean, we've seen that already, but there's also another milestone taking place here. And that is, after four years and 21 chapters and over 80 sermons, we now come to the final sermon in our series on the Gospel of John. Verse by verse, line by line, starting September 30th, 2018, and now finishing here on May 21st, 2022. And as you have just borne witness to, we praise the Lord for his saving and sanctifying work through this beautiful book. You see, all of those verses, all of those 21 chapters, every verse leading us to this question and this purpose, it's the entire purpose of the book. Will you, ready, ready, eyes up, eyes up, will you follow Jesus? That is the question of questions. One which, no matter whether you're here and you are saved or you haven't confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can't escape the answer to that question. Will you follow Jesus? After all the evidence that John has unpacked from John 1.1 all the way here to John 21.25, after all the evidence and the teaching, after seeing the miracles and signs that Jesus has done, the eyewitness testimony that has been given, it all points to this. It's decision time, loved ones. Will you believe in and follow Jesus no matter what? And so you may say this, well, what does it, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does Jesus say a true follower of Christ lives like? How do we follow him? Well, praise the Lord for John 21. It gives a portrait of what it means to follow Jesus. Now recall, you recall from our last three messages, this is part three, to follow Jesus faithfully, we saw in part one, verses one to 14, that if we're gonna follow Jesus faithfully, we must surrender to him increasingly. Surrender. Hey, kids, kids, eyes up here, one sec. Everyone say this, surrender. All right, got your attention back? Good, let's go. Surrender to him increasingly. And we saw last week in part two, verses 15 to 19, that if we are to follow Jesus faithfully, we must love him supremely. Kids, say supremely. supremely. Above all else. And now today we get the overflow of this. To love and follow Jesus faithfully. Here it is, ready, ready? We must focus on him intently. We must focus on him intently. Now, 
you will see a, or listen, write down this definition. You're not going to see it on the screen tonight. So hey, extra attention. Let's go. All right, get your pens ready. Write down this definition. What does it mean to focus on Jesus intently as he calls us to? Here's a definition, dictionary.com. Intently means in a firmly or steadfastly fixed way. Intently means in a firmly or steadfastly fixed way. It means being locked in to Jesus. Eyes, heart, mind. That's what an intent focus on Jesus is. So let me ask you a question. It begs the question right here. Where's your focus? A lot of things competing for our attention today, wouldn't you say? Where's your focus? Where's my focus? And you say, well, why is this so important that John, after 21 chapters, would finish with this? All of it, why is this so important? Because here's why. Write this down, ready? Your focus determines your direction. I'll say it again. Your focus determines your direction. And the problem is this, that you and I can't escape. We face it every single day. Here it is, ready? We are often more intently focused on things of this world than on Jesus Christ. Would you agree? That's a problem you and I face every day. That's why this text is so important for us. If we are going to follow Jesus faithfully, especially in the craziness of this world today, We need to pay attention. What are we more focused on so often? Well, here, let me, let me help you. I want this to be very helpful, so let's look at some of the common things. We're focused on money and finances. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. What am I willing to put on the altar of sacrifice so I can get a higher amount? Relationships, spouse, kids, opportunity, what? How about this? We're so focused so often on our own comfort. Don't we love our comfort, loved ones? We just love being comfy. I'll follow Jesus unless it calls me out of my comfort zone. How about this? We're so often focused intently on relationships. I need to get a spouse. I need to have kids. I want to have more friends. And focus determines the direction. So I'm going to pursue these things and, and subjugate the pursuit of Christ to that. I'm focused on my status so often, my reputation, myself, my way, my possessions, students, my grades, my friends at school. Here's one. I'm so, and we've seen it come to the forefront these last two years. I'm so focused on my health. I'm focused so intently on my health. Or here's one. You ever get going down this rabbit hole? I'm so focused on the news. Do you ever, you ever go to getting God's word? To abide with him, and you're like, let me just check the news on your phone, the sports scores, CTV, what's going on with the election, what's going on overseas, what's going on here? You ever notice that? And then down the rabbit hole you go. Or here's one I'm more focused on entertainment, I'm focused on binge watching instead of Christ seeking. Here's another one that we're going to see right out of the text today. I am so focused on comparing myself to others. Anyone here? Anyone here? Just hands up. We're in church. We can't lie. 
Does, does anyone struggle with a comparison trap deal? Yeah. Praise the Lord, this text is for us. So let's pay attention. Now, I want to make something clear. Not all of those things that I just mentioned are bad in and of themselves. Proverbs makes it very clear. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? It's not bad in and of itself to want a wife, but it, when it becomes out of place, now it's called idolatry. And the danger here is that these things become a major distraction from our steadfast, intent focus on Christ. And what is the result of focusing on? You say, what's so bad? Focus on these things. What does it matter? Look at the result. Ready? Just look around us. Lack of contentment. Look at your life. I had to look at mine in this. It was so cutting, so convicting. Lack of contentment, lack of joy, lack of peace, lack of faith, lack of love for Christ, lack of love for his church, lack of love for the lost, etc., etc., etc. When our eyes come off, him. And you see it all around in this world, searching for contentment. And what else happens? Increasing fear, increasing anxiety, increasing stress, increasing pride, and ultimately unfaithfulness in our walk with God. You see what's at stake? Your focus determines your direction. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Let's just be honest before the Lord. Say, Lord, where is my focus? Look at your life this past week. See, here's the thing we're going to see. This is the big idea that everything in this text is going to unpack. Ready? To follow Jesus faithfully, you must focus on him intently. Write that down. Big idea. To follow Jesus faithfully, you must focus on him intently. You may say, well, what does that look like? How do I know if my focus is on Christ intently? Listen, well, here in our text today, we got two marks Two marks in the life of the one who's increasingly focused on Jesus and who increasingly displays his power and glory through and advances his kingdom through. You ready to go? Ready to go, loved ones? All right, say, I'm with you. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. John chapter 21, verses 20 to 25. Let's go. Jesus and the beloved apostle. Okay, kids, let's read this nice and loud together, okay? Bible's open. Here we go. You guys ready to go? Let's go. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. First thing we see here, loved ones, write this down. The life focused on Jesus increasingly lives with, ready? No distraction from him. The life focused on Jesus 
increasingly lives with no distraction from him. Notice the text. Jesus says, you follow me. You follow me. Here's the question that confronts us from these first four verses. Ready? Where is distraction hindering your devotion? Where is distraction hindering your devotion? Let's get our context. Jesus is with seven disciples on a beach at the Sea of Galilee. And he's after having breakfast with them, Jesus pulls Peter aside. If you remember last week, 15 to 19, Jesus pulls Peter aside and he's walking along the beach with him. And what does he do? He restores, he reinstates Peter to serve him by calling Peter to feed God's people, God's church, the word of God, and tend and protect them as a shepherd under the direction of the great shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus has just done is huge. He has just entrusted his flock to Peter's care. And so in addition, Jesus, through his sovereignty, remember this, Peter's kind of shaken up here, through his sovereignty, he's just told Peter that being his disciple and following him would cost Peter his life. It's going to lead to his death, ultimately death through crucifixion. Now, put on Peter's shoes here. Just live in the text for a moment. Hey, kids, kids, eyes up here. Yeah, live in the text for a moment. How would you feel if you're walking on the beach with Jesus and he just told you how you're going to die? Would you be like, yeah, I'm on it. I'm going, I'm in. Or would you be like, uh, can I take plan B? Right? As you can understand, Peter's shaken. Peter is shaking here. He's feeling unsettled. There's a tension. And as they continue to walk along the beach... This happens. Look at 20 to 22. Peter turned and saw the disciples. He's walking along with Jesus. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, notice what he says. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about, can you just see him? Okay, what about him? What about him? You just told me I'm going to be crucified. What about him? And look at what Jesus said to him. Verse 22. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You, John, follow me. You see, as Peter's walking with Jesus, he turns around, he notices John's following them. You say, well, how do you know it's John? Well, notice this in verse 20. He's described as he's been all the way throughout the book, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then, as we remember from John 13, 23 to 25, John here is described as the disciple who was sitting next to Jesus at the dinner table in the upper room at the Last Supper. When he leaned back to Jesus in John 13 and asked, which disciple is going to betray you? And then you see in 21 and 22, after hearing about his own death, notice Peter's response. Peter sees John, immediately turns to Jesus and says, okay, what about this man? What about him? That's what you told is going to happen to me, but I want to know what's going to happen to him. What's what's his outcome going to be? What are you going to do with his life? How will your call on my life, how will the outcome of my life compare to his? See what's happening to Peter? He's falling into the comparison trap. And Jesus lovingly 
rebukes Peter. Did you catch it right there? He rebukes Peter and says, if it's my will, the word will there, circle it in your Bibles. If it's my will, that is my desire under my sovereign authority that John remain alive until I come back from heaven and establish my kingdom. What's that to you, Peter? You follow me. The word follow there, if you remember, circle it in your Bibles, write this down. When Jesus says, follow me, it means to cling steadfastly to him. You cling steadfastly to me. You focus on me. You obey me. And then in verse 23, you notice here, this got misquoted in the early church. Did you catch it? It gets misquoted and it spreads among the early church that John would never die. Hey, when we quote God's word, can we make sure we're getting it right? Please, enough twisting. They get it wrong. And they misquote God's word, and it spreads throughout the whole church. And this is why John brings correction here. Now, Jesus' response shows Peter's, notice what it does. Jesus looks at Peter's heart, and he pulls it out. He's doing soul care on him. Jesus' response shows Peter's primary focus and concern must not be John. He says, Peter, get your eyes off John. Stop focusing on what's going on with him. He says, Peter, your primary focus must be your own continued devotion. And nothing or no one else must distract you from that, regardless of what I decide to do in John's life or not. You follow me. Now, role play. All right, let's role play. Jesus says to Peter... Why are you so focused on and concerned about what my path or will is for John? Why are you so focused on that? Why are you so distracted by what's going on in John's life, Peter? Why are you comparing yourself and what I'm doing in your life to him and what I'm doing in his life? Welcome to the same struggle you and I have today. Peter, here's what Jesus says, and this is what this term means. What is that to you? Here's here's what the term means in the Greek. It means this. Peter, it's none of your business what happens to John. You follow me. I'll say it again. Peter, It's none of your business what happens to John. You follow me. And the same today, right? We so easily fall into this comparison trap or choose to go there. We're so easily distracted by comparing our path to the path of others. And we're so focused on trying to make their paths our own business. Social media is great at this, isn't it? Oh, it's great at this. And we spend so much time asking, instead of being so focused and intent on Jesus and following him, we spend so much time asking, why don't I have what they have? Why do things seem to come a little bit easier for them, God? What? Why am I going through the suffering and the disappointment and the discouragement when they seem to be having it so much easier? 
And they don't even come to church every weekend. I do. Why does that person's child get saved? And yet I've been pouring in for years. And they walk away. I've struggled with this. Why does that person have a spouse? And I'm still stuck here. And everyone who I talk to is like, your clock's ticking. May it not be so in this church. Why, why, why do they have kids and we don't? Why did their, this is something very personal for my wife and I, why did their child come out alive and ours didn't? You see what's happening here? It's the same thing. That's not fair. Why do they seem to have the blessings and I don't? Why is God giving what seems like, here's one, greater fruitfulness to them? God, I've been following you. I just feel like I'm still stuck in this mire, the same place, and they seem to be growing in Jesus. Why? Or as a church, you know, I just had the privilege of being at a senior pastor's retreat, and you know, loved ones, I gotta say this, some of the most faithful pastors I know are bivocational, and they've been shepherding the same flock for 15 years, and it's never eclipsed 100 people. What, why, why them? What, and when other people have 3,000, 4,000 member church, why, what's going on here? What does it matter to you, Peter? You follow me with the work I'm doing right here. Hey, loved ones, and I don't know what you're going through individually, many of you, but that might be a hard thing to hear for you. Maybe it touched a nerve for you. As your pastor, I want to care for you well. That might be hard to hear, but I will say this. Same reason Jesus says it here. It is so freeing and loving of Jesus to correct us on this. I'm going to say it again. It might be hard to hear, but it is so freeing and loving of Jesus to correct us on this. And I want to encourage you with this. I don't don't know, wherever you're at, you know what's coming to mind that the Lord is bringing to mind. I want to encourage you. You may not understand God's plan for your path. I wish this got put on the screen right now. Write it down. You may not understand God's plan for your path, but never doubt that God has a good plan purpose for it. You and I might not understand God's plan for our path, but never doubt that God has a good purpose for it. Jesus says, you follow me. So question right here, where is distraction hindering your devotion? Where is your focus? Where are you like Peter caught in the comparison trap right now? Maybe some of us need to just shut down social media for a while. Start there. Picture perfect. Well, just get rid of it. Where are you caught in the comparison trap saying, why don't have what? Why don't I have what? And they do. What's that for you? Your health? 
job, an opportunity you want. We often do this in the church too, right? Hey, I've been in, I've been in the church a long time. Why did I get looked over for that ministry opportunity? Why do they have it and I don't? What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Maybe it's this. Where, where are you caught in the comparison trap saying, why can they what and I can't? How come they what and I don't? Where's your focus, loved one? Where's your focus? And I just, I just got thinking, as I, my heart has been grieved over the state of the church around the world these last two years especially, as we see the division just tearing it apart. It's been so grieved. And I just got thinking in relation to this, how many fights and quarrels and tension and bitterness and resentment and anger and selfishness and lust and coveting and division in relationships wouldn't exist if we simply heeded Jesus' words. What's that to you? You follow me. No more coveting. What if we just humbled ourselves to trust in his gracious, good, loving, and sovereign plan and path for you? We just humbled ourselves. Because recall this, recall this. Write it down. Recall this. Hey, kids, eyes up here. Get this now. This is good theology. You ready? Eyes up. Love seeing your eyes. Nice job. Nice job, front row. Way to go. Here's the thing. You and I would want what God wants if we knew what God knows. You and I would want what God wants if we knew what God knows. You and I don't see the whole picture. We never do. And you may say this, you may say, well, it's so hard to keep my focus. I'm so tempted when I see that person or I read that news article or, or, or when, that, when that temptation comes up to focus on those things. How do we overcome the life of distraction? Praise the Lord, his word tells us three things. Get your pens ready. How do we keep our focus intently on Jesus Christ? Number one, we cast the distraction on him. First Peter 5 says, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he what? Cares for you. Someone needs to know right now, Jesus cares for you. And he's like, why are you carrying that? It's hindering your devotion. You're sitting in your distraction. Cast them and say, Lord, this is a temptation. My eyes, instead of looking at you and setting them on things above, I'm so distracted by the life that I want or by the life that I had and that I don't have now. And I'm just looking and looking and looking back instead of looking and looking and looking at you. We cast that. And say, Lord, that's not what you want me to set my heart on. That's not what you want me to set my eyes on. And I cast it because you are good and loving and will only work out of your love and goodness towards me. Here's the second thing. We cast it. We got to cast it. But then what do we do? Cast and then pray. Cast 
and then pray. You say, how do we pray? How do we pray to live a life so focused intently on Christ? Here's the first thing that needs to happen. Ready? As we pray, we need to repent. Repentance. Turning from our sin, turning to the Lord, repenting of our doubt that he's good. How much of our unbelief in the Lord is really an unbelief in his goodness? That he's not actually got our best in mind for us. That he's not only working just out of love for us, but he's got some ulterior motive. We gotta, we gotta repent of the unbelief. The doubt. Lord, forgive me for doubting who you are. We need to repent of our focus off him and the distraction. And what happens is this. The more, if we don't repent of this, here's what inevitably happens, loved ones. We start to become distracted and then all the only place it leads is idolatry. Idolatry. I want that over Christ. This is gripping my heart, gripping my mind, gripping my attention over him. What have we done? We've switched his place with, what is that for you, spouse? Health? Job? What? Where has the space been, or the place been switched? And here's, here's what's next. We repent of our idolatry, asking him to help us focus. And then look at this. Here we go. We thank him. Oh, we thank him. Gratitude is such a powerful weapon. Gratitude is such a powerful weapon against greed and against the comparison trap. Don't go down the rabbit hole. Fill your mouth, your heart with praise and gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. Saying this, Lord, thank you for your work in me. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for the hope that I have in you through the gospel. The fact that you would even choose me before the foundation of the world, that you have adopted me, that I have an inheritance that cannot be shaken, that I will have, you have promised that I will have every need of mine provided for according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The fact that I do not have to live in fear or anxiety anymore. And the fact that even though I may be going through a health struggle right now, my healing's on the way because I will be with you in eternity. In this life it's coming or in the next one, but it's coming. Thank him for his work. Thank you that you don't give me what I want all the time because you see the train wreck that it would become of my life. Thank you. Thank you that you see the whole picture and I don't. Thank you that you are wise and I am not. That you are good and generous and I am selfish. Thank him. And then then here's the other thing. So you thank him for his work in your life, and then guess what? Thank him for his work in the other person's. Lord, thank you for your blessing on them. Thank you that you've given them a spouse. I pray so much that that marriage would grow with the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ at its center, and they would love you more. Protect it. Thank you for the children that you have blessed that family with. Thank you. May they be saved from a young age. Thank you for the job that you gave. Thank you for the ministry opportunity that you gave that person. Thank you. Bless them, Lord. It's really hard to sow seeds of resentment when there's praise on your lips. 
So we pray and then we ask him. We repent and we thank him and we ask him for the faith, the strength, and the joy to follow him and focus on him alone, to set our minds on the things above. All right, so we cast, pray, and you all know what's next. Third one, obey. We cast, we pray, and obey. You want to keep our lives focused on Jesus intently? Cast, pray, and obey. Follow him, abiding in him, in prayer, through his word, not just five minutes a day, but when you're in the office and you're going into that meeting, or parents, when you're going in for another day with your kids and you're in the shower and you're like, Lord, help me. Abide in him right there. Call out to him on behalf of your children, on behalf of your coworkers as you're going into that meeting. Abide with him and follow him in his power. Give me the strength, Lord. Help my unbelief. See, loved ones, where do you need to do this today? The life focused on Jesus increasingly lives with no distraction from him. And with this final point today, ready? No distraction from him, no doubt in him. No doubt in him. Write that down. Life focused on Jesus increasingly lives with no doubt in him. Question. The life focused on Jesus trusts his word. Here it is. All comes down to this. Gospel of John. Will you believe in and follow him? Will you believe in and follow him? Look at verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Look at the authority of that statement. We know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself, I love this, could not contain the books that would be written. John closes the epilogue right there. You see, he finishes the gospel by affirming, John affirms that he's the author of the gospel, and notice this, was an intimate eyewitness to these things he's writing about. He's not making them up. People have been trying to discredit the gospel of John for over 2,000 years. That's not happening. It's still here. Why? Because it's true. You see it right from the text. It's true. He was an eyewitness for three years to each of the events that he's written down and the many others. Notice verse 25, the many others that he chose not to, that even the world itself, I love that, could not contain the amount of books that would need to be written about Jesus's life, miracles, and teaching. And notice this. We notice this today, don't we? As we see a glimpse of the truth of this, because what? The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all contain different events than John does. So we know he's telling the truth. There's so much more he could have written. There's so much more he could have written. But his testimony, John says, and the full authority of God's word, his testimony about Jesus is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the very word of God, not the word of John. It is the word of God, and as such, it is absolutely true. See, can I just debunk something here that's increasingly an opinion in our society today? God's word is absolute truth. Okay? Let's just let's be done with the relative truth can be whatever you make it kind of thing. Hey, kids, kids, truth is not whatever you make it. Truth is what God says. 
God's word is absolute truth. And notice this. He says it's absolutely true. The word true there in verse 24, the last word, circle it. Here's what it means in the Greek. It stresses what can't be hidden. When something's true, it can't be hidden. It means it's undeniable reality when something is fully tested. Awesome. God's word will prove true. And and John's testimony, even though he didn't include all the things that Jesus did, his testimony for what he wrote is sufficient to provide a basis for one's faith in Jesus Christ and lead to salvation in him. Gospel of John is sufficient to do that. And you may say this, you may say, okay, well, maybe you're here and you're like, I can't trust absolute truth, God's word. I don't think so. Let me just ask, let me just ask you this. You may say, where's the proof of this being true? Where's the proof? Show me the proof. Okay, great question. Did you notice today what happened in that tank 40 minutes ago? But here's the proof. Her name is Deborah Mufuele. Here's the proof. His name is Joshua Mufuele. Here's the proof that God's word is true and is sufficient for salvation in Jesus Christ. His name is Samuel Kaprowski. See, every one of the testimonies you've just heard proclaim and prove the absolute truth of the word of God. Every single one. Time after time we heard, here's who I was before salvation in Christ. Only God can take a life in a jail cell and transform it for his glory. Amen? Here's who I was before Christ, but by his grace, he opened my heart to hear his word and believe that he is the son of God, God Almighty himself, who came to earth as fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life for 33 years and paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. That's sin that separates me from God and is my death sentence to hell for eternity without a savior. That's who I was, but Jesus. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. Jesus died and rose again and offers salvation and eternal life by his grace through faith in him alone. You cannot earn it. Stop trying to earn it, loved one. And each of them you hear, I repented of my sin and confessed him as Lord and Savior. And here's who I am now. I have been given new. Life, the testimony is true. The old is gone. The new has come. Chains are broken. Death is defeated. I have decided to follow Jesus, and he is worth it all. And parents, I just want to encourage you in something here. This just on my heart right now to encourage you in this. Maybe you're here and you're like, is God's word having any impact on my kids? And maybe you're here and you're trying to do family devotions. It just seems like they're squirming all over the place and no one's listening. And sometimes you're like, man, I'm screwing them up more already. Like, yeah, that's you. Can I get a witness? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right here too. Me too. Me too. All right. But hey, 
I want, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something, parents. Um, listen up. Hey, kids, listen up. Asher, listen up, man. This is for you. There's no junior Holy Spirit. Say that. There's no junior Holy Spirit. God's word is living and active. Parents, you keep opening the book. You keep praying it over your kids. Kids, you keep opening it up in your quiet time each day. The greatest thing you can do every day, little men, is to open up God's word before your feet hit the floor off your bed. All right? Parents, you keep going. In the power of the Holy Spirit, open the book. It's living and active. It will go forth and will not come back void. The life focused on Jesus believes his word. Will you believe and follow him? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus as your personal savior, I want to say this right from the text today. The evidence is clear. Who Jesus is and what he's done. The testimony is true. You can fight it all you want. You can try to discredit it all you want. It's not going to happen. The testimony is true. Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, and his call to follow him for you today is repent of your sin and confess him as your Lord and Savior, and you will be forgiven and be given eternal life. And today, Scripture says, when you hear his voice saying this, you follow me. Right today, you follow me. When you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Brothers and sisters, if you've made that confession, hey, I want to encourage us with this. No matter what's going on in the culture around us, no matter the division that's going on, no matter the chaos that's happening, listen to this. Hold up your Bibles just like this. Hold them up. Hold them up. Here we go. Ready? Yes. Love seeing your Bibles open. Here it is. God's word is true. It is unshakable. God will do what he says he'll do through it. And he calls me to abide in him through it. Amen. His word is true. So where do you need to pray today, loved one? Lord, I believe your word is true but I'm struggling. Help my unbelief. Where do you need to do that today? See, the word of Christ fuels our faith in Christ. Amen? It fuels our focus on Christ. Where do you need to pick it up today? Don't forsake being in God's word, ever. Get your focus on him intently. Where do you need to say, Lord, I believe your word's true, but help my unbelief with what? Where are you struggling and you're saying, I don't know where I'm struggling. Here, can I help you with one? Here's a few triggers. Ready? How do you know you're struggling with unbelief? You get anxious. Where are you getting anxious these days? Anyone get anxious this week? Yeah, 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 me too. Where, where are you getting anxious? There's unbelief. Here's another one. Where are you fearful? There's another one. God's word commands us 365 times. Do not fear. 365, that's one for every day of the year. He means it. He says, don't be anxious. Here's another one. How do you know you're struggling with unbelief in God's word? You're getting impatient again. Where are you getting impatient? You're getting irritable again. You're getting angry again. 
Where is it? Just bring it before him. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Will you believe and follow him in his power, increasingly focused on him with no distraction from him and no doubt in him? Because I promise you this, as we close out this beautiful book, worship team, you can come on up. I promise you this, loved ones, the day is coming very soon when you will regret nothing. You've lost or given up for Jesus' sake. The day's coming very quickly when you will regret nothing that you've given up for Christ. And you and I will stand before our precious Savior with all of the saints throughout history and with the myriads and myriads of angels and declare this beautiful truth. You, Jesus, are worth it all. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. And Lord, I thank you so, so much for your grace towards this church. That God, you have led us verse by verse, line by line, through this beautiful gospel, and it is sufficient to give us all that we need to understand the person and work of Christ. And so Holy Spirit and your power, would you open eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to respond. Would you illuminate this beautiful text to us today? Lord, you're here to do business with people right now. And so I pray we would not fight you. We would just ditch the defensiveness, ditch the pride and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me, Lord. I'm distracted with this. I'm harboring this unforgiveness. I'm harboring this. I just cast that on you. I want to follow you. And Lord, for those people who are here and maybe they've sat through most of this series hearing week after week, Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, Savior of all, and the free gift of salvation, yet they've never come to you. Today, oh Lord, in your mercy, today would be the day I pray when they hear your voice to say, follow me, and they do not harden their heart. Oh Lord, please find us faithful. Help us, Lord, to focus our eyes fixed on you in these days when it's so easy, more distractions than we've ever had in our lifetime. Oh Lord, keep our focus on you to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand and respond and worship loved ones?